Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show all about building and investing in companies, featuring interviews with startup founders, investors, and operators, sharing the best insights into the world of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Chow Yun Chu, founder and CEO of Run the World, a leading virtual events platform for community building that's raised more than $14 million from the likes of Founders Fund, Andreessen Horowitz, GGV Capital, and others. And in this episode, we explore how she started this company, what she's done to grow it, how the pandemic affected what they do at Run the World, and so much more. As always, these show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Chow Yin Chu, founder and CEO of Run the World. Chow Yin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always a big fan. Yes, I'm glad we could do this. And your platform, Run the World, there's a lot to discuss with this. For people who maybe aren't familiar, what are you doing with Run the World? Yeah, so uh, I am. So I started the company. I'm founder and CEO of Run the World. We are a virtual events platform that really facilitate kind of human to human interaction. Uh, I started the company in 2019 uh, before COVID, and we launched <laughs> a week before COVID. Uh, and now we're hoping uh, we're seeing a lot of the kind of influencer creators and uh, organizations start using us, and we have supported more than 15,000 events. I would love to hear more about with this company. What are you doing differently from other platforms out there? I know people are going to be wondering. I'm really curious as to what your differentiators with from the world. Yeah, so we are. Uh, so I guess there are a couple of things. One is that we're really good at uh, enabling people to meet each other. In addition to you know traditional Zoom webinar, we are just here listening to uh, the speaker. Uh, we are really good at helping people meet each other. So one of the things is called a cocktail party, which is like a speed networking where we can match uh, you with another person every five. Uh, 10 minutes, uh, and then you can meet a different person and build relationships. And the other thing uh, that has been really popular is called Roundtable, which is kind of like a different type of breakout experience. Uh, you know, you can set up different topics. People can choose whatever topic they, they wanted to join, uh, and then they can move around the room and, and kind of hop between different topics. So, so those are some of the things we're really good at. Uh, and the other thing is that we're really uh, is all-in-one platform. So you can set up your event, monetize, uh, and, and run the entire event, whether it's a workshop or uh, a conference. Uh, entirely, uh, and then have a community uh, that goes along with the event as well. So it's really all in one, and you can do everything within one platform. So we're seeing a lot of uh, kind of celebrities, uh, influencers, and uh, creators using our platform. That's amazing. And I want to get back to this, but I want to take a giant step back. You came to U.S. for college. You're 18 years old from yep. from China. Mm-hmm. How was that adjustment for you? I'm curious. Uh, you know, I moved when I was 18 years old, and uh, at that time, I didn't know much about the U.S. at all. So uh, it's been a very new thing. Uh, so I, I, I arrived, and <laughs> I don't know any friends there. So uh, in the U.S., so I kind of just formed my friendship uh, f- friend circle after I moved, <laughs> uh, and uh, w- went here for college. So I, I went to Pomona College for my undergrad. I studied computer science and economics, uh, and then I kind of stayed in the U.S. ever since. I worked at Facebook and Instagram for three years as a product manager. And then, uh, and then kind of I moved to Stanford for business school. I dropped out to start around the world. That's uh, amazing. And the experience at Facebook and Instagram, what were some of the things you're working on there? Yeah. So, uh, I basically focusing a lot on creators and, uh, entertainment video. So, uh, a lot of things to do with live video, a lot of things to do with kind of helping, uh, influential people building connections with their community. Uh, I also did a bunch of, uh, gross, efforts and Instagram. But so back in the days when Instagram was still small, I guess it was 2016, Instagram yep. was so small. Uh, I was working on the growth 
uh, team for Instagram to kind of grow more users uh, in Instagram. From that experience then, understanding you had that and you decided to go to business school, why business school from there? Um, at that time, you know, I, I kind of got bored a little bit. After I worked for many years at Facebook and Instagram, I kind of know what to expect. Uh, I just kind of feel like I was getting less creative. Uh, and I thought maybe I need a need a change. But I didn't know what kind of change I need. I just thought I need a change. And, uh, you know, I kind of got into Stanford when I was in college. There's a special program uh, you can apply and that you can get into Stanford beforehand. And then they allow you to kind of defer for a few years get a job. So that's what I did. Uh, and, and, and at that time, I, I always had a Stanford offer. I thought maybe, you know, if I want to change, I didn't know what change that is, might as well go to business school to figure it out. <laughs> so that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I did it. <laughs> I love it. And then dropping out to start this company. Tell me why then you, you decided to drop out and decide to start Run the World. Yeah. So, you know, I, it was uh, 2019. Uh, that time there was no COVID. My, my mom is a doctor in China. So she went to, uh, Chicago for the first time to go to her first international conference. Uh, and it was a great experience. It turns out she met another doctor from Dubai and they share the same patient, uh, same kind of rare patient case. It was extremely helpful, but uh, it's really hard for her to make it because coming from China, you need a visa, you need, uh, you know, travel and it's really expensive. So um, she was just complaining and she said, you know, I wish I could meet other doctors more often. Uh, and then at that time I was just thinking, hey, what if we can digitize the whole experience of an event and then helping people meet each other uh, that way. Uh, it was not something that people do at all. We, we need to persuade a lot of people. And, you know, we decided to just run our own virtual conference. It was 2019. And it ended up becoming extremely successful. We made like $30,000 running a two-week. Uh, we spent like two weeks running an event. And we, like within two weeks, we made like $30,000. I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be really huge. Uh, and we got a people from 20 countries. I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be uh, really in- illuminating for people who are outside uh, those regions that typically have a lot of events. So that's when we decided to kind of invest more and actually start a company. So it was not meant to be a company very at the very beginning. We we're just testing it out. But then we realized this is going to be uh, something that's actually going to be really helpful. So we then start raising money. Uh, and me and my co-founder quit. Uh, our she quit Facebook, I quit Stanford, and we started the company ever since. <laughs> I want to go back to that though. Thirty thousand dollars in two for two weeks in the conference—that's that's that's a lot. It's incredible. What were you doing to grow that? I'm curious. Uh, it was like really scrappy. Like I, I was a product manager, so I I know a lot of product manager. We did a, a kind of like a boot camp conference for like uh, product managers, and I just get like ten of my friends to be speakers a different topic. And then I, I created like a fake website at that time. We didn't build anything. We we're just hacking around some of the, you know, some live streaming thing, plus some community thing, plus some blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> we start selling and I just promoted to Facebook groups. I just searched random words and put it into Facebook groups. And we just sold like 300 tickets in like two weeks. And I was like, wow, people are actually willing to pay for that. And then we did an event. It was really, uh, is it not really a good experience because there is no product. It was just, you have to download like six different things and hack around, but People still do it because they really enjoy the content. They enjoy the opportunity to meet each other. Uh, and so that's when we really realized this is something that can actually work because the people that came to our events come from like different states, 20 different states in the U.S. and 20 different countries. And they've never been to any. It, it, for them, it's like this is something that they, they will never have access to if it's physical. Uh, so we kind of knew, oh, this is going to be really different for those people. Uh, and then we start building now that we have run the event using some existing scrappy tool, we kind of really understand what's missing. And then that's when we decided to quit our job and to really build something, uh, the, knowing that we already know the problems. 
Yeah, and only it's it's not that long ago that you started this company, but what was the initial version, or what did you think you had to have initially at the, at the launch, you know, at the start to get this off the ground? I'm, I'm curious about that too. Uh, we built quite a lot of things. I mean, like <clears throat> the first version has uh, basically like a kind of like a ticketing component. You can set up your own event pages, and uh, you can. We already have a video uh, built in, so we're not using external things. We have our own kind of. Uh, video live stream surf- services. We have our own like networking because I we learned that uh, that is the most important part of the online event experience is the ability to network and interact with other people. So we really kind of have uh, all of those pieces, uh, and and then we had a mobile app as well as a web as well when we when we launched. So it was quite comprehensive, uh, but because we had a we we have a bunch of engineer back then, and then we just quickly launched it uh, within like maybe six months, five months. Since we first raised and then we like officially launched. At that time, the the product was still kind of uh, not really reliable. But then COVID <laughs> hit, we immediately got a lot of lot of interest, and we we were just trying to you know uh, <laughs> serving the customer at the same time fixing some of the issue with the alpha product. So we kind of launched a little bit prematurely given the the time that we we were in. Yeah. With that launch as well, then what was some of the feedback you were getting from from users from customers, and what were they saying about it at that time? I. Uh, no, I think, I think the issue at that time was just people uh, were trying to find a solution to really kind of uh, pivot their offline events online. Uh, that was that was the at that time. So so for them, it's more just they, they need some education in general because that's a new thing for people. They need to learn like what kind of virtual events could work. What should I do? Uh, so we actually did a lot of education in addition to just providing the product. Um, and then at that time, I think. Very beginning, people just want to replicate what they had have done offline. So they were just uh, trying to like you know borrow the agenda they had offline and immediately translate into online. Uh, but then I think probably three months, four months in, people realized you know wait a minute that is not the right way. People are not going to spend eight <laughs> hours in front of their laptop. Um, you know going to an online conference, they're just going to leave. So so then uh, we basically uh, start building a lot of like. Uh, new interactive feature around a shorter event. So the events can be like two hour long each time, but they can have more recurring cadence. So that's kind of has been our focus ever since. With that as well, I know you mentioned how you grew the first, before it was really a, a company when you're kind of just trying to get people for that conference when you made $30,000, you mentioned Facebook groups and other things like that to spread the word. With Run the World, when you had the product, you had, you had figured out this product, you launched it within you know, five months or so after funding at least. How are you acquiring customers then at that point? I mean, what's worked, worked for you? You know, obviously there's a lot of tools that are already out there, but how are you acquiring customers uh, in the last, you know, year or two with this company? Uh, in When we first launched, there was no product, actually. There was no alternative. So uh, when we launched, it was like instant hit in PR world. So like we got like 20 articles within a week or something. And then like everyone was like coming to us. So we kind of got really lucky. Uh, uh, but then, then it kind of just kind of grew organically from those people. Uh, but I, I, right now we're kind of started to do more, uh, we started to be like more, uh, specific about the type of customer. Cause we had all kinds of people from like large company, like Facebook, LinkedIn to like employees of companies from like, uh, from like influencer, from like celebrities, uh, from like everyday people. Hey, I want to do a high school reunion. It's like all kinds of people. So now we're kind of more crystallized around, uh, we're really tar- targeting kind of the, the content creators and then the, the, the media companies and and then like everyday people who are doing a less on the like large corporation kind of side. This is the first company you've started, right? Uh, I, this is the first company I started as like venture backed. I did have a consulting company back then. I co-founded for like 
uh, when I was in college, we, we were helping high school kids applying for colleges. Oh, nice. So you've had, I mean, you see had experience running a business of sorts, but obviously venture back is much different for a venture back company. Then how did the fundraising go for you? Uh, for, for us, I think the, the first two round has been, we got really lucky because the timing was good. So I think for me, it was uh, the hard part is more getting the first, uh, first couple warm intro. When I first started the company, I didn't know many people. That is probably the challenging part, uh, especially, you know, if you're a female founder, it's not like you, you're seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of other female founders and they, you know, so it's it kind of hard to find the first couple of intros at the very beginning. Uh, but I think once we kind of, I network quite a bit and I try to, you know, ask friends to, for this introduction, blah, blah, blah. And then I started <laughs> to kind of know more investors. I think once you kind of know enough investor, you're kind of in the circle and they kind of start in, uh, introducing each other to you. But at the very beginning, I think that was kind of hard. For other founders out there, you know, raising for the first time, though, is there anything that you'd you'd mention to them that would be helpful as they're as they're raising funding for a startup? You know, maybe that's the first time they ever raised venture capital. Obviously, you've got you know, A16Z, a huge huge uh, venture firm on board with with Connie Chan. We're able to secure that, which is amazing. For other founders, though, any suggestions for them? Uh, I think the most important thing for us was we were trying to talk to investors on some of our previous idea. Like this is not the first idea we did. We did like seven probably test ideas that didn't work out. So the first the the, the first couple of ideas we, we did and there was like no traction. We we're trying to talk to investor first before we start experimenting. And the result was always like people have all kinds of doubt and they question you a lot and <laughs> feel maybe that's not the right idea uh but then you know because after enough rejection i just thought you know what what if we just don't talk to investor just try something for months because otherwise if everybody tells you that's a stupid idea you just don't want to try it and you may miss out so just like okay we're going to ignore everybody just do it (laughs) um so we did it for like months just trying the idea if it worked it worked if it doesn't work it doesn't work and so uh, that's kind of how we uh, started around the world is we actually did it one month. So we can see, hey, what is the fastest way we can learn the most in, within one month? We did it. And then we start raising. At that time, we have some traction. We we're making some money. So it's like, it's an easier sell compared to, you know, if we didn't do that. Yeah, getting traction is such a huge part of it. You can show that. Yeah, yeah we're, people, you can validate the idea that way for sure. Okay. Uh, in terms of being able to have that. And, and from this as well, so obviously you raise funding and you have some traction with this. How are you convincing people to join your team? How did that go in terms of building your team for around the world? Yeah, so I started off uh, getting uh, my, you know, so basically my, my co-founder and I worked at Facebook together. Uh, and uh, she basically, uh, we, we knew each other. And then we, we worked uh, together on a few hackathon projects. Um, and then that's how we kind of, uh, built some relationships and we decided to start the company. So the first couple of people uh, we kind of hire from within our friends that we already know, uh, it was like engineering. And then uh, since we raised like our next round, we've been kind of scaling the team and then start hiring like uh, more engineers. And now we're hiring like managers to kind of manage the team. So we kind of have scaled from like me directly managing everybody to there's a layer in between. And that's kind of where we are right now. And with your co-founder as well, what were some of those discussions around, you know, roles, responsibilities, um, you know, who's going to do what with this company? I'm curious about that as well. I would say people wear a lot of hats as a startup early on, but I'm curious how that conversation went with with her. Yeah. So so I basically focusing more on the product side uh, and then business side, everything business and products me, and then everything kind of engineering. Uh, and she also does some kind of like operation stuff, like, like uh, for example, customer support, that's her. So we kind of just divide the company in that way. 
uh, and then uh, we each own a bunch of different kind of team. Uh, kind of that's how we do it right now. And as you've grown, obviously we went through COVID, and we're still in this as of now, recording in, in January 2021. But how did you know? You said it, it was a big change when when COVID hit, and you launched before COVID. But how did that change how you had to run the business? You know, hiring everything. I'm curious as to how that uh, adjusted uh, what you did at Run the World. Yeah, so we had an office uh, earlier last year for like five people. Uh, but then we, uh, you know, start scaling and then COVID hits. So we kind of, no one's going to the office and we start hiring a lot of people remotely because there's no difference. And then we start scaling the team until we have like 20 plus people. We're like, you know, wait a minute, why are we still keeping the office? So we shut down the <laughs> office. Um, now we don't have an office and we just have like around 50 people and across like um, two different time zones, uh, one in Asia, one in the US, and just everybody just work remotely. That's kind of how we do it today. And I don't know if we plan to go back. We probably can't. There's not a going back for us because the back was doesn't exist. <laughs> as far as I, the normal. There's there's no back. So uh, that's kind of how we how we think about it. So I think we're probably gonna have a place where everybody can have fun periodically, but we won't be like getting office anytime soon because everybody's already pretty spread out. Yeah, it's an interesting issue that people are dealing with in terms of how they decide to manage this and there's nothing really to do yet because everything is still closed yeah, a lot right. of things are still closed so it's not like it's on the table quite yet but i've had people in the show who yeah had massive offices and who got out of those leases or some were screwed and are were in those leases still for a while until they could yeah. finally you know get out of them uh but it's a whole different environment if you listen to people like matt mullenweg from from automatic wordpress they've been distributed the whole time he mentions yeah. a few different things around how how they've best been able to do it uh, in a number of different interviews he's given and some other people, same thing, who've done it for a long time. There's a lot to learn from them. What's been helpful for you in terms of how you run your team being all kind of distributed at this point? Uh, so we, you know, because we have a bunch of different product that's designed to help people make better relationships. So we've yeah. been using our own product uh, for some of that. We have like a cocktail party that we run uh, periodically for a team to get to know each other. And sometimes we'll design some like fun stuff where people like do some quiz questions and get to know each other. I like to do an exercise where I ask people how tall they are because it turns out it's really hard to know <laughs> how tall you are. That's great. <laughs> so that is a fun game where like trying to guess like who is the tallest, you know, how do we rank their height and some of that uh, for like new employees. Uh, yeah, and then we're, we are also doing more like async stuff like um, – for example, some like daily sync, it would be part of the Slack uh, bot and then people can just answer the question that way. I love the idea of that. I never even thought of that. Like how tall are people? You've never seen them before in your life know, a lot right? of times. It's such a bizarre, <laughs> such a bizarre thing. Like I've been onboarded now, uh, like actually twice in COVID. Um, and it is interesting because you've never met these people in person and you're like, well, I have, I have no idea, literally. How yeah. like, you know, we see right. them on Zoom. That's all you know. Who knows anything else right. about them? It's kind of crazy um and from this as well I, I know you mentioned you had gotten traction early on and i'm curious what is the business model in terms of the pricing and has it evolved over time since you started yeah so we we, we started off we actually didn't offer any free events because we didn't at that time i never host any free events all my events has been uh, we charge people so I, at that time i didn't believe in free events we didn't have a pricing model we just say we don't offer free events and then Obviously, that was not right. So then we change it. We add a free events, uh, and then we start charging per per attendee. Uh, 
Uh, and we have a SaaS model back then where we say, hey, given how many people you have, we charge you a different amount. Uh, we actually realized that it, that's not really aligned our incentive with our organizer. Uh, because a lot of times the organizer don't know how many people they're going to have. Uh, and uh, if the platform where the event is really boring, then many people sign up, they don't actually show up or they don't stay until the end. Uh, so it's the value that the organizer is, is, gets it does not necessarily equate the money they're paying. So we thought the best way, most fair way would be changing our model towards more like a revenue share. So we kind of have been doing that right now, which is it's free to host an event for up to 500 people. If you make money, we take a, a percentage cut. It's like a 15% uh, revenue share. That's kind of how we make money today. And we're seeing uh, people like, you know, on track to be millionaires in the platform uh, on a per, per year basis. So those are some of the things that we think uh, we want moving forward, helping people identify new ways to make money uh, and be successful. With that as well, on the pricing note, I've I mean, talk to so many people around how difficult it can be to figure out pricing. And sometimes it's more straightforward depending on the market they're in and everything with that. But for you then, how how have you decided on the price point? Obviously, they could be changing constantly, but I'm curious as to how you even decided on that or be- benchmarked or figure out how to, how to charge. Um, I think the fundamental thing is really how we think about events. Uh, if we think events as a, is a, is, is a feature that people need uh, as a tool, just like you need a Photoshop to edit your photo and you need an events tool to help you run events, then it makes sense if you charge them per usage. Uh, but we really think events is a new type of uh, media format, just like um, video or podcast or blog is just a new type of format. The difference is that now this time people are not just passively consuming the content, they're actively engaging with each other and they're, it's like a video is it like a YouTube video that's live plus the interaction piece of it? So it's really a new media format. In that case, you almost don't want to discourage people from creating more events, but you want to help them uh, identify better ways to monetize during those events. So that's kind of what we're thinking about. In that case, it kind of doesn't make sense if you charge them uh, to create an event. It kind of makes sense if you create more value for people to generate revenue and monetize from from that kind of experiences. Yeah, it makes it makes total sense. And and one thing too, I know you, you talked about earlier. You launched with a, a fair amount of features actually and functionality with the platform. How have you gone about that today in terms of how it's evolved? Deciding on what new features, how you're getting feedback from from users about it. I'd be curious to hear more around that as well. Yeah, so we have um, we 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 have some kind of regular events where we invite the organizer. I'm I have like a lot of phone number of organizers. They would text me and tell me what they like, what they don't like. And, uh, and then we, yeah, so that's kind of how we do it. And we, we run our events uh, sometimes and we invite people to come and hang out. So that's kind of how we do it today. And uh, we have a bunch of events going on. And then that's kind of where we use our own product to collect feedback. We have a regular office hour. Whenever people have questions or want to talk to us, they can always find us. So those are kind of the things we, we we provide to make sure like people understand what to do and they they feel supported. Yeah, it's so important as well, just to make sure people have a have a say and you're you're obviously prioritizing that feedback in terms of deciding on what you do and what you're you know change or evolve and build with this company. And with this growth during during COVID as well, uh, I imagine there's been some challenges with that. What's been the most challenging part of of growing this business the last you know year or two? Um, I think right now, uh, there are kind of a couple of things. I think on us, we wanted to be more focused on the, the type of, uh, use cases that we're supporting. Cause we actually can support a lot of use cases. 
uh, and we are seeing all kinds of people, but I do think that we need to be more specializing uh, in, and right now for us, we're specializing in helping people monetize from events. We're specializing in helping like creators and people with an audience or with expertise to easily create an event and really kind of focusing on what they're good at, which is the the content interaction, and we can handle all of the other things and provide a, a, provide a very social experiences. That's kind of the thing we're focusing on. So it's more about narrowing down what we can do because there's many things we can do. Uh, the other part is more making sure that we, uh, while we scale the team, the productivity of the whole company is still uh, kind of linearly grows, which is actually pretty hard. Once your company, uh, you know, grew, it's like some of my advisor told me there's a 15 uh, people. is like one bar. That's when you start like having... Uh, that's when it's really hard to manage everybody directly. Uh, and then like 50 people is another bar. That's when you have to have like, you know, tiers and structures and managers. So it's more about growing the company. Uh, as we grow, uh, we, ha- we, we make sure that we hire the right people. And then the, the structure right now is everybody's remote as well across many different time zones, which is make it even more challenging. <laughs> uh, but, but, but the goal is that now that, you know, our company has grew to a point from like 15 to almost 50. So that, that is the new stage where we kind of need to lay uh, a different type of structure to make sure that it, the people can be as productive as they can be. Uh, which is quite challenging, to be honest, in, in today's world. On that note of productivity, what does your kind of typical day or schedule look like? I'm curious about that. I have, uh, I think my schedule right now is not the most optimal. Like I get up really late because I go to sleep really late, go to sleep like two or something. Uh, wow. a lot of like a team in Asia. So that's kind of how we uh, kind of match that way. But uh, I typically get up pretty late as well. Like I have like eight hours sleep and stuff, and then <laughs> and then I, I I work after, uh, like after I wake up, maybe after an hour or something. So it's like eleven a.m. That's when I kind of start rolling, uh, and then I kind of go to sleep late as well. Uh, that's kind of my schedule. But I ideally I wanted to change it a little bit. But we do have an Asia team, so either I get up really early or I get a, uh, where I, I go to sleep pretty late. Those are kind of two options I can I can choose. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting schedule to be able to to keep, and especially with yeah the team so distributed all across different time zones. Uh, I imagine that's that's challenging potentially, and and for you, and I'm always curious about this with founders because it can be such a challenge to turn off. How do you recharge away from work? Uh, I like music a lot, so I like to play music, I listen to listen to music. Uh, I like to make my own music, so that's that's been one thing I do. And uh, recently, I also got a polytone recently, so I've mm. been. Kind of doing some classes that way <laughs> how we do it right now yeah i love it and for you i know you mentioned the schedule but on that note like when do you make time for that in terms of stepping away and how do you handle weekends i'm curious about the schedule because that's something again it's just so difficult for founders to shut off ever uh how do you yeah. do that i don't think i'm doing a really good job right now like i uh but i have really good sleep quality so like whenever i sleep i don't think about anything else so that's like being good uh and then on weekends i typically We'll have like Saturday, I'll do some more free stuff. And Sunday, I do have to work a little bit. So that's kind of how I balance my schedule right now. And then as a as a founder and a CEO leading this company and starting this company a couple of years back now, how do you invest in yourself just in terms of your your own learning, your own uh, growth as a, as a leader of the company? How have you gone about that over the last you know year or two? I'd be, I'd be curious. Uh, I think I just gained a lot of understanding about like marketing uh, operations uh, and hiring. Those are the things that I'm not really good at before. Like I have no clue. I was not a manager when I, I, I was a senior product manager at Facebook. I managed a team of uh, different people working on my product, but I was not their direct supervisor. So that was kind of my first time being a manager. But 
uh, I didn't have much time to learn how to be a manager until I have a large team. <laughs> so it's more about learning like how to be a better manager. I'm still learning. Uh, and then the other part is more about like balancing it, like learning about all kinds of stuff from like legal stuff to like contracts to like finance. So there's a lot of things I didn't know before. And I'm kind of a lot of the new field because I didn't know I don't have a good handle on like what is what the success look like so it's more learning about that and then be able to evaluate if it's good or it's bad uh and i think that's kind of the other part is if you if i know what success look like then it's easier for me to understand where we are but sometimes for those areas it's really hard to understand what is a good state look like uh, and then i find that when i if i if i don't know what the success look like i tend to make progress slower but if i do know what success look like I tend to make progress faster uh so i think that's the other kind of thing i'm, I'm trying to do more how do you how do you figure that out? How do you figure out what success even looks like then? I don't think I'm always have the right. Uh, I think it depends on different fields. Some of them you can probably ask people. Some of them like it's really like we have made some mistake, and when we compare, uh, we, we like we make some mistake. It feels like is a bad job, and then we kind of somewhat change a different solution. We realize oh this is getting better, so at least I know this thing is possible to get better. Uh, sometimes when you know we hire experienced people and they come and they kind of bring. Uh, some more more uh, experience into the table, and then you'll realize there's a difference. Uh, I also try to learn from other founder. They can tell me, hey, what does it look? What does it, you know? So I can learn about from their their stories as well. Yeah. With with those other founders, I mean, what does that look like in terms of communication? I wonder if you have uh, any groups that you kind of are are a part of with with them, or just kind of whenever you have questions, or how does that work? Uh, you mean like how do I connect with other founders? Yeah. Yeah, so I typically have, uh, you know, I, 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 in a bunch of different groups, we'll do some activities and, uh, and then I will sometimes uh, go to some events <laughs> for founders and meet each other. And uh, I organize a lot of events too. Uh, just is, is, is good for, for the business, also for me to understand <laughs> how to be an organizer. I do a lot of events and I can invite people to participate. On that note, I'd be curious because of, this current time and everyone's looking for these ways to connect everything, obviously using, using run the world is a great platform to use, but with organizing events, anything on that, that may, what, what goes into organizing a great event? I think the, the, the part about making a really successful online event is different from offline events. Uh, online events is all about making people feel like they're connected because offline events, you have a lot of different things, you know, you need to figure out the right booth, the right venue, the food needs to just taste good and everything. Online is really about making it interactive so people feel like you're not talking at them, but talking with them. So uh, really, I think the key is just designing elements where people are not just passively listen, but they, like I kind of say, the success metric is like, hey, they come out of the event meeting three new friends uh, and have like three different kind of uh, aha moment, hmm. uh, whether it's from, uh, interacting with the speaker directly or hearing from other people about something. And if they spend like, you know, an hour and a half and meeting three friends, uh, they typically will be really happy. Uh, regardless of what kind of presentation that is, how long is your deck, it almost doesn't matter. They're <laughs> talking to three people that are keeping in touch. That's like a really, really good success. So it's like really about how can you facilitate more interactions so people can meet each other. Uh, and then the other thing is that if people can have access to the speaker directly and even ask questions or just make the speaker know their name or just say, hey, Justin, that sometimes is enough. So those are kind of the things that we wanted to create those special moments and make people feel like they're special. And this is something they're really creating a human relationship. Uh, and that's, that, that we have seen is really kind of the, the key. Whether it's like, you know, you have the best video quality or, you know, your, your camera 
is HD camera versus not. <laughs> those, those definitely matter, but they're not the deal breakers. If, if you have a HD event throughout the entire experience, but I don't get to meet anybody, I may start turn. If you have, you know, if you just come using your phone, you know, your hair is a little messy, but I still get to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> you still value that experience sometimes more than, than the, the, the previous case. So that's kind of what we have learned so far. So, so our goal is always, always being, can we help people at least make three connections from those events? That's great. I think that's a, that's a great way to look at it in terms of that. And I look, if I think about the events I've been to, it's so true. The ones that I connected with people, whether it be like very easily facilitated afterwards where you could uh, network or you know talk to people or even just easily, like, oh, hey, like follow on Twitter. And like, you had a, a conversation that got started because of this event. Like those are the best ones. And with you then also, you know, hosting different events and seeing different events, how do you structure yours? Or is there anything around that that is helpful? Obviously, you mentioned the things around making sure you can engage with the speaker and having attendees engage with each other. But is there anything else in the structure of the events that you've hosted that you think uh, also is helpful? Yeah, I typically like to have an event that's less than 90 minutes long. We find that 90 minutes is a magic number. If you have longer than that, people tend to leave. Uh, and that's when you see like large drop pop. So ideally, we make an event 60 minute max. Uh, and then we do like thir- maybe the first 15 minutes, just the speaker giving some kind of context, sharing some fun fact. The presentation doesn't need to be super long. Then we'll kind of break people into either the roundtable mode, where that means that I will select three topics. And then I say, hey, choose the topic you want to join and we'll match you with a table. We'll talk about that topic where people can create their own topic. That's one format. And typically that can last like 30 minutes. Some people are even want longer. Uh, or we do like a cocktail party where we like match everybody one-on-one with each other. Um, and then they can choose some preferences. Like we match them and they can have a chat. So that's kind of how we do it. And, and then sometimes we bring everybody back to the stage and say, hey, any questions you want to come and share your insights? And then people can come and, and share their thoughts. So we try to kind of have a mixture between me giving a presentation with a speaker giving a presentation uh, to the the kind of the interaction among uh, people for them to have a, cl- a discussion as well. I think that's really helpful to hear that. And that's something I'm, I'm thinking of as well at Vitalize Venture Group in terms of how we build community and wh- where events play a part in this. It's something that uh, a lot of thought will go into because I think it's really important, especially look at whether it be building community with your portfolio companies, whether it be uh, with your investors, we have an angel group, uh, something that's very important to have, but I think people don't all do it correctly <laughs> and it can just be a very drab, boring experience. Uh, so I'm definitely trying to think about that more so, which is why I'm super excited to talk, uh, especially now we get this uh, schedule. I'm so excited to have this. One of the things that you you talked about earlier that I wanted to dig into a little bit more because it is important for a lot of founders and companies. There's so many things you could do, you could build, you're trying to serve all these different customers. I'd love to hear more about how you're thinking about narrowing down and getting more clear on the use cases in terms of which customers to, to go after. Um, that's something I think is always something that you iterate. Uh, so right now, you know, we are seeing a lot of, because our pricing model is really kind of aligned with the, uh, the organizer. And we also think uh, the eventually virtual events need to bring revenue. And in 2020, people are really hesitate uh, in charging because uh, you don't really know where the value come from and people kind of somewhat hesitate. But eventually, we really believe that uh, we are already seeing a, a lot of examples where people are able to monetize uh, more effectively than a YouTube video, you know, uh, especially for people from the range of 100, sometimes from 50,000 followers to 500,000 followers, uh, or sometimes even lower, like somewhere between 10,000 followers to 
100,000 followers. Those are the people that are being ignored today uh, in like platforms uh, like YouTube or podcasts because you, you, you may not have the skill yet to, to make a living, to sustain yourself, but you can be very niche, but very focused. And uh, you actually tend to offer more value uh, from a per follower standpoint, but you're not able to capture those value. So now if you can easily do an event and connect those people with niche interests together and not only creating them content, but also helping those people gather around you uh, and kind of get to know each other because you bring them together, um, that can be a really a brand new revenue source for creators of that categories. So we're kind of seeing a lot of success among kind of the, we call this the 10,000 to 500,000 range. Uh, and those are the people that we can actually help them sustain themselves and make a sometimes a full-time living just by hosting events on a regular basis. Jeez. Yeah, that's, that's a crazy beneficial for, for them. You can see where this could be used and people are looking for events and they still need to get together. And especially if you look at different different use cases and how so many of the trade shows and things are obviously not happening now. And so people still, those channels where you used to acquire customers, used to build the relationships, they don't have those. Um, so they're, they're adjusting and doing different things, which something like Run the World, for instance, can be very useful in that regard. One thing I'm curious about, just looking back, and I know it's been a couple of years now you've been in this, but would there be anything you would tell tell yourself, you know, when you're just getting started with this, that you should do differently, or that you should uh, watch out for as you started this? I'm curious as to anything you've learned from the last couple of years doing this, you may have done differently. Yeah, absolutely. We probably will. I will probably do two things differently. I will hire slower, even slower. Uh, we did uh, try to hire really fast because we just, you know, have a lot of demand. Uh, but it's not always tr- like true that the more people you hire, the more efficient it can be. Uh, and and because we're hiring pretty fast, I think there are some hiring mistakes that we had to fix later. So I will probably try to hire slower and spend more time uh, figuring out the right criteria uh, of which we we make hiring decisions. That's something that I wasn't very experienced. So we, we tend to make some decision really quickly. Uh, I think the second thing I probably will also do is uh, I will want, so I, today, like I'm uh, have a lot of conversation with customer, but not the entire company. Not everybody has kind of direct access to the customer. We'll probably will make it even more um, so that, you know, everybody in the company can talk to some customer directly and kind of understand their, so it's not just the PM or the business people that talk to the customer. Ideally, we'll probably want even some engineers to have access to customer directly and kind of build the empathy, which we think is quite important. And then looking forward, uh, I mean, what's next? What's the big vision for Run the World? Um, the big vision for us has always been, you know, people like my mom who's interested in pediatric neurologists. It's really hard for her to meet other doctors of the same field. Part of it is because it's niche. Uh, second of all is because, you know, it's really hard to gather people around. So for us, the value of around the world is not the, hey, we have COVID. Let's just bring those physical conferences online. The value of around the world has always been uh, what if we can uh, bring people who have the same interests or expertise across the globe in, in, in enable them to build deeper relationship and form community around that particular thing uh, in a different way than what they're doing today. They're, they're probably watching some YouTube video, but there's no interaction between people. So uh, we really imagine the future Nobel Prize winner is going to meet each other at a run the world event and they're going to know each other and they're like, hey, why don't we do a research together? And they, they you know, they can <laughs> together win Nobel Prize. That's kind of the, the, the thing we're kind of going after is really providing opportunity for uh, people, no matter what that interest or expertise is, being able to find other people who share the same thing uh, and then kind of building deeper relationship that way.
Uh, so that's really kind of the focus of what we're, what we're doing. It's uh, it's very exciting. It's very exciting what you're building and where this is going. And I'm all about c- connection. And that's something with with the podcast I've done, obviously, for two and a half years now and really connecting with people through this medium. But I think there's so many other ones. You look at events, you look at people being interact with the speakers is huge, with the other t- attendees and finding finding their people is, is a really important thing to do. Uh, so I'm yeah. excited for what you're doing. And where can people go to learn more about Run the World and connect with you as well? Yeah, so uh, you can definitely go to our website, uh, www.runtheworld.today. Uh, and you can also follow me on LinkedIn. I'm, uh, I, I, this is kind of funny. I, 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 I was an influencer in China somewhere, <laughs> but I, in the U.S. I haven't done much. Uh, and I started to do some LinkedIn uh, since last year. Uh, just I thought, um, because, you know, that's, there, a lot of our customers are in LinkedIn. And then I post some kind of video. I guess LinkedIn has some algorithm where if you post a video, you kind of got a ranked higher or something. So then I became a LinkedIn top voice. <sighs> nice. So it's kind of funny. So now I'm a content creator myself too. <laughs> so <laughs> great. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So I also, you know, I've run the world. We also help you accumulate followers too. So whenever you host an event, uh, you basically get, getting followers because people who come to your event kind of become your followers. So so I also, I'm also an influencer around the world as well because now, when, now whenever I go to uh, start my own event, I can automatically invite like all my followers. I have like a <laughs> followers so yes. i can like, invite everybody to, to the event that i'm hosting which is kind of which is kind of fun so those are kind of the two things that i use <laughs> that's, that's amazing i feel like i feel like with with who your audience is as well twitter would be huge i don't know if you're using twitter much at all but twitter i mean in terms of people who are running companies and vcs who obviously then would have potential events for the portfolio companies and stuff uh I, i've been really bullish on that recently especially getting into in venture now um and even before then seeing the reach you can have with it and the people and ideas you can get from it it seems like uh could be some benefit but you obviously have a lot going a lot on your plate already <laughs> so yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, I try some twitter i think the difference is that for twitter people need to kind of reshare you mm-hmm. you know you need to retweet yep. Where linkedin they just need to comment so True. Barrier for, uh, is is lower, but I, I haven't. We, I mean, we, we do have Twitter account as well. My my, I'm more like a visual person, so yeah. like I post a lot of video stuff, which is easier for me to create. But I, I also use some Twitter. I don't I don't use it as much. Uh, yeah. So and then I I always obviously I work Facebook, so I have like Insta, Instagram and Facebook, but I haven't been using uh, social media as much as before. Yeah. <laughs> I guess now I'm mostly just uh, working on it for the company. So yeah. N- now what I do is I typically run a lot of events, and we invite like people to come to my event, and like we we have some like interesting topic that we kind of share with people. So that that has been, that's been my new way to keep in touch with people, and then uh, and then kind of learn from customers as well. Uh, and yeah, so, so, so I, since I haven't been, been out of home for uh, almost a year now, you know, can yep. I be at home, uh, and my social life right now has been <laughs> coming from the cocktail party and the round table. That's, been, you know, <laughs> that's pretty much how I keep in touch with people nowadays. You know? <laughs> yeah. The digital social life using your, your own company is perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's kind of, it's kind of fun. Yeah. You know, there's a, you know, we were, like I was just joking. I went to, a um, there's like a conference in Harvard, the, for, for like for international relations that I, I went seven years ago and physically and I, I had applied to be an applicant uh, and then uh, they, they recruited me to be a delegate you know I have to apply to join that conference it was like a big deal yeah. and I flew to Boston for that conference like seven years ago uh, and last weekend uh, we just hosted that conference around the world I was like that's huh. insane it? and then, like seven so years cool. ago, I was the one applying to join now like we're hosting it <laughs> so that was kind of like a really unique feeling and they have way more people compared to what I did 
my year because now it's online. So they have like, you know, thousands of people from all over the world. It was just really insane to, 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 to see, you know, uh, and that was pretty cool, you know? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is, it is, it is cool. And I, I used to live in Las Vegas and so there's all the trade shows were there and now you see them, all of those ones were, you know, those are all online now. Uh, I mean, and, That's right. yeah. So it's interesting to see how that has evolved. And like I said, I, I'm very interested in this space and just in terms of uh, using events to, for, for building community. And as you mentioned, you can also get you know, building an audience. This is a way to build an audience as well, depending on how you're doing it. And especially, well, yeah, as you look at someone um, who I, I'm, I'm talking a lot of entrepreneurs and VCs, and uh, those are people who people typically want to listen to them in terms of uh, their insights on building companies or insights on investing. And it's like, I should be doing probably more events. Next time. I always do events all the time. So I will invite you. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. That's all I want. It's just like invite. podcaster doing events for their listener. Because like, you never know who your listener are, right? So yeah. you don't know who they are and you want to meet them. Uh, they want to meet you too. So we're seeing podcasters start doing kind of Sometimes they call this a live recording of their events, but really is it events where they invite the some popular speaker back yep. uh, and people can have a Q and a kind of like AMA and then they can do some networking around the particular topic. Uh, so we're seeing podcasts are doing that and they actually, sometimes they charge they make some money as well. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I see that make, making sense. I mean, if you just look at, they already have an audience there. Uh, people want to listen to, to what they're saying. And then I'm sure, you know, in terms of deciding on revenue channels, I've, I've played with advertising and you know, you can make some money off of advertising, but also being creative with your revenue streams uh, and having a different revenue stream. Even if you do the numbers, I mean, it doesn't have to be that many people. If you have a pretty loyal, small audience, it still could be useful, especially when you look at what you could, could charge for an event. Um, it makes a lot of sense. That's right. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate the time and thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.